Over the last few years, I've really focused on building the foundation of what I consider to be wellness underneath me. And that includes, you know, from food, sleep, exercise, relationships, and I've, I go, I'm back in therapy. I haven't been in therapy for over 10 years, and I've decided to go back because eventually I hit a wall where there's only so many self-help books that you can read before you just need a new perspective on the kinds of habits and cycles that you're stuck in. Assumptions, defaults, stories. I've had a number of conversations recently about the role that unconscious choices play in how we run our businesses. Maybe your inbox is out of control and your calendar is jam-packed, so you go with the flow and assume you need to hire help. Maybe you tell yourself a story about keeping prices low so that more people will buy and sales will be easier. Maybe you default to following someone else's business plan instead of getting creative with your own. Every single day, every hour even, we're presented with choices, but most of them never really look like choices to us because we're so used to falling back on the default or playing to the story that's already in our heads about what we're supposed to do in that scenario. The option of doing something different, well, it doesn't even cross our minds. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations with small business owners who are making it work in their own unique ways. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. We're wrapping up our month on confidence with today's episode, and I think it's worth taking a look back on what we've covered. Not in a previously on what works kind of way, but instead looking at the threads that have tied these stories together. And one thing I've noticed is how all of our guests made the decision to disrupt the stories about what life or business was supposed to look like and embrace something personal, maybe even unconventional. Jamie Varon picked up her life and moved to the south of France and discovered a new way to approach life. Hilary Ray realized that success doesn't have to mean conventional growth and that her body of work is much more than the number of butts in seats. Michael Karsh didn't wait until he felt ready or experienced enough to sign big deals with Google or Facebook. Victoria Clark chose to prioritize building her career in a way that meant she was getting paid for the hard work and long hours she was putting into practicing law. Disrupting long-held stories, beliefs, and assumptions is really uncomfortable. It's unnerving. While you're there being a leader, questioning something important, you end up questioning everything else too. So maybe that's another way to look at confidence. Confidence is the skill, the practice of questioning everything. It's the power to be uncomfortable while you forge your own path and make your own decisions. It's the habit of never assuming that the next step is really the next step you should take. Today, for our final Candid Confidence Project conversation, my guest is Victoria Klein. Victoria is an author, entrepreneur, and a certified online business manager. I've been digital acquaintances with Victoria for many years, like since selling advertising was the best way to make money from your blog. Victoria is a master at questioning assumptions and making unconscious choices conscious. And that's what our conversation is all about. Victoria and I talk about risks she's taken and the experiments she's run and how they've helped her to find a new level of confidence. We talk about why she decided to go back to school to study Japanese, how her business has evolved, and even how her personal life has been shaped and reshaped by the risks she's taken. Now, let's find out what works for Victoria Klein. 
Victoria Klein, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. Absolutely. All right. So let's just kick things off like right in the thick of it. Can you tell me about the day that you made the decision to learn Japanese? Oh, wow. That would have been, I actually decided to learn Japanese about two and a half years ago. But I've been deeply interested in Japanese culture my entire life. So, despite the fact that I didn't actually like fish until I was like 30. So, you know, <laughs> it, a little inconvenient, but now I like it. So, it's okay. Um, but the actual decision to learn Japanese was something that was something embedded in me. And anyone who's followed my journey as an entrepreneur for 15 years would know it's been, I think, the most most common word to use for it. it's just been chaotic. It's been chaotic. Every three years, I roughly, every three years, I changed direction. I was a, a model and an actress for years. And then I was a writer, which I've been a writer my entire life, thankfully. So that has stuck. And I've switched to, you know, traditional employment and I've been a virtual assistant and I've been all over the map. But I've always been, frankly, obsessed with communication whether it's writing, whether it's nonverbal cues, and my interest in Japanese extends to that in how a completely different culture, very different culture from the United States, which is where I was raised, the way that they communicate is embedded in their language, the kinds of words they do and don't have, the way they phrase things. And it's caused me to reflect on my own awareness of how I communicate myself, which has shifted drastically since I started studying. But to return to your actual question, the day I decided was I was living in Connecticut and my, my partner had just graduated with an associate degree after being in the Marine Corps for five years. And it was time for the next step. It was time for whatever the next chapter was. And we knew we didn't want to stay in Connecticut because it's ridiculously expensive. And so we started to think of what was next. Obviously, he was going to get a job and I was working, of course. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school. I have an associate degree in liberal arts and sciences, and I thought, well, maybe I could learn something that would be useful for me. And of course, all the traditional routes I found absolutely boring, but I've always had this deep interest in Japanese culture, and it's been getting stronger and stronger over the last 10 years or so. And I thought, well, if communication is kind of my jam, why don't I go back to school, get a degree in Japanese, and be a translator? among other things. <laughs> and that consistency stays. I can never do just one thing. So it was certainly a conversation, but it wasn't a difficult decision. And if you would have asked me 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I'm 35 now, if you would have asked me way back then, hey, do you want to just go to college and move halfway across the country to a state you've never lived in and a city you've never been to and learn a language that you don't know when you're now at an age where that's difficult and you want to just go for it? Do you want to try to apply to a college that's hard to get into and see if you get in? Um, I would have broken down crying if you would have asked me that a few decades ago. But it was a very easy decision for me when I started to think about it. I was like, yeah, this could be fun. This could be exciting. I could learn something new and I could, you know, 
feel a measured sense of progress moving myself forward, which is difficult as an entrepreneur to feel, oh, yes, this is my next metric. Oh, yes, this is my next accomplishment. Yay, everyone's going to celebrate with me. But when you're in, in traditional university, it's very distinct. There's semesters, there's grades, which some of us really shine with and some of us completely crumble at. I'm happy to say I'm both. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a very interesting experience, but the decision itself was actually very easy. Okay. So you said sort of the magic word, something that we're really focused on during this month on confidence, which is kind of taking the next step or even identifying what the next step was. And so you made this big leap to move, to go back to school, to to take on the task of learning something that, as you said, is quite challenging. I don't care how old you are. I think learning Japanese is probably quite challenging as a native English speaker. Um, I'm curious what your relationship was with your own self-confidence, your own even self-worth at the time that you made that decision. Well, I can certainly say my confidence and self-worth is now higher than it was when I made that decision. But when I made the decision, I I don't know if I could give a specific metric to it, but some sort of like 65% confident um, in the sense that I'm very good at learning new things. It's a skill that I've acquired. I don't know if it's innate or what, but I I had a sense of at least somewhat confidence and self-worth in, well, I'm really good at school. I always was. And that hasn't really served me much in real life, but it served me when I was in school. And I thought, well, at the very least, even though this is a difficult subject, I'm sure that I can find a way to shine doing it. But there was obviously inner self-talk, that little inner voice in your head, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, This is not moving the business forward that you have. This is not going to make you money for years. And newsflash, you're probably going to fail. This is hard. And I definitely considered that. (laughs) I still considered that. But the way that I usually make decisions, which is completely arbitrary, so this probably won't work for anybody else but me, but the way that I make decisions is, is the inner pull, is that inner ache to learn this new thing or try this new thing, is it heavier than the weight? of what I would feel if I didn't do it and then regretted it. And Mm -hmm. the weight was heavy. It was intense. It was whatever's going to happen, this is your new chapter and you need to go for it. I can't guarantee it's going to work. And to a certain extent, I only went for three semesters and I've since decided to leave university and pursue studying Japanese on my own. But I would not take the decision back. Moving down to Austin was a fantastic decision. Moving to a city I've never been to, fantastic decision. And pushing myself further outside of my comfort zone than I really thought was going to happen. As a, at the time, 34-year-old college student, I was not expecting to feel that out of place, which I'm used to feeling out of place as it is. But I never expected to feel that much like literally a foreigner in a different environment. But even despite that, and my self-worth was very much challenged while I was at school, I can reassure you of that, Um, but that, that desire to learn something new 
and to find another way to either contribute to the world or find another dimension to my own personality and my own self-worth, even if it's not related to making money, that was more important than, oh my gosh, moving to a new city. I don't know anybody. This is so scary. Yeah, that, that happens all the time. But that doesn't override the fact that the opportunity is there. There's very few universities that offer a bachelor degree in Japanese, so my choices were very limited. And Austin was one of the few. Their acceptance rate is under 30%. I had made it in on the first try. So I figured if I'm getting all these green lights, there's no reason to turn around and say no when I'm still excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that one of the sort of the voices in your head was this isn't moving you forward. This isn't moving the business that you have now forward. And I can totally understand and certainly relate to that voice. And at the same time, I mean, I think that as human beings and as entrepreneurs, we're always moving forward in one way or another. So looking back on that decision, and, and I guess even looking at where you're at now, how did that decision indeed move you forward, even if it wasn't forward on the same trajectory that you were on previous to that decision. Absolutely. My trajectory has, it's changed drastically, but it's also exactly the same, which sounds oxymoronic, but that's pretty much my story. And so I am, I moved down here to start studying Japanese in order to add being a translator to what I already did, which I'm an online business manager, which is very analytical and organizational job that I thrive at. And my creative outlet is still writing. So I always have to have one of each. I have to have a creative outlet and I have to have some sort of analytical organizational analysis based thing because those are the two sides of my brain and they're both very active. So this was a chance to technically combine both of them by being a translator. And when I moved down here, that meant that my business, my way of making money, what I was known for had to slow down. So mm. I did reduce my client load. And initially, my first semester of school was full-time, so I was taking a full 12 credit hours, which is four courses, for anyone that's not familiar with how the U.S. is structured. And I completely burnt out, completely burnt out. I was only, I was doing the traditional college thing. I was sleeping like five hours a night. I was not working out. I was not eating healthy. I was depressed. I was stressed. It was affecting my work with my clients. Um, all of those kinds of traditional outcomes. And I realized that I do still really love what I do. I'm not completely going to abandon the business that I've built and the people that I'm helping just because I have something new that I'm excited about, but the balance had to shift. So my second and third semester, I went part-time, which was, it was an easy decision, but it was very frustrating. It was an easy decision for me to make because I've burnt out countless times in my life, I know exactly what it feels like. And it's not something that I want to continue to participate in over and over and over in my life. So eventually you have to make the decision to interrupt the habit mm -hmm. of allowing yourself to become burnt out. And I was also incredibly frustrated because my new goal that I created to be a translator was now going to happen much slower. Mm. And I have a really hard time with that. When I'm excited and passionate and curious about something, anything that gets in my way is just tantamount to torture. 
And that was a difficult decision to make, but ultimately for my own sanity and well-being, I had to make that decision. And that's what I have to do as an entrepreneur. Every day I have to make tough decisions. I have to decide what to spend money on and what not to. I have to decide who to help and who not to because I'm only one person. I only have so much time. And it's the same thing for myself. If I want to learn something new, I have to make time for it. But I can't sacrifice the world that I've built for myself publicly and personally. I can't sacrifice all of that just for one new thing, which is ultimately going to teach me something wonderful, but I don't know what it is. And I can't sacrifice all the other time and knowledge that I've invested and where I've gotten to just to pursue something new. Gotcha. You'll find out how Victoria started to turn around her mental health in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, if you're a regular What Works listener, you're already familiar with Mighty Networks. If you're a new listener, first, welcome. And second, let me quickly introduce you to Mighty Networks. It's the quickest, most robust way to bring your audience together all under one digital roof. They make hosting a community, planning events, building courses, and making connections between the people you care about a breeze. Well, Mighty Networks just got a whole lot better. This summer, Mighty Networks rolled out a huge upgrade to its payment processing. Now you can charge for access to your network, access to your courses, or access to premium groups. And even better, you can bundle up those options in any number of ways. You have more control over how you charge for your community and your content than ever before, and your customers have a smoother, more integrated experience than ever before. Get all the details on Mighty Network's impressive list of features and try it free by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the What Works Network. At What Works, we've made it our business to bring you the conversations and ideas about running a small business that you've probably missed out there on social media or in your inbox. We're filling in the gaps, finding the missing pieces, and anticipating exactly what you'll need to make the next leap ahead with your business. Not only that, but we introduce you to people who are really making it work, not just telling you how to do it. Here on the podcast, we call the show. But inside the What Works Network, well, that's where you're part of the action. We bring our careful curation and insightful questions. You bring your challenges, your questions, your opportunities, and your niggling suspicions. The What Works Network is a peer-to-peer learning and support community designed to help you get ahead of problems, anticipate opportunities, and find your own unique version of what works for you and your business. We're opening the doors to new members soon. To be the first to find out when we do, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. So you said just a couple of minutes ago that um, over the last couple of years, your confidence level has increased. What do you attribute that to? What part of this process of of learning and re-examining and reassessing things has contributed to you finding a greater level of confidence today? Well, I certainly can't just attribute it to the last few years. Um, I, I've, I have severe anxiety and depression, and I have my entire adult life. I was on medication for seven years. I've been off of that medication for 10 years now, and that is still an ongoing process. 
It is something that I simply have to work with and I have been able to manage it or live with it as it were in various ways. I eat a lot healthier than I used to. I work out at least three times a week. I do yoga. I was a yoga teacher for three years. One of my other fantastic learning (laughs) experiences and offshoots. And so it, I focus on the basics. I focus on having the foundation underneath me because that's the full, first thing I like to pull out from underneath me when I'm excited about something new is I pull out all of the intelligent, healthy things. I pull out the rug from underneath me and I'm like, oh, don't worry about eating. Oh, nice. when was the last time you showered? Oh my God, you haven't gone outside in like five days. Ah, who cares? Nobody needs nature, right? It's not important. There's no Wi-Fi in trees, so why should I go outside? So those are the kinds of things that I will tackle myself with. So over the last few years, I've really focused on building the foundation of what I consider to be wellness underneath me. And that includes, you know, from food, sleep, exercise, relationships. And I, I go, I'm back in therapy. I haven't been in therapy for over 10 years and I've decided to go back because eventually I hit a wall where there's only so many self-help books that you can read before you just need a new perspective on the kinds of habits and cycles that you're stuck in. And I know I've been stuck in the same cycle for many years. And it's something that I want to break free from. And that's simply something I can't do myself. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I Even yesterday, I was Uh, I was being interviewed and I said for, I think the first time ever that always my number one priority is maintaining my mental health. And I like it, I knew that that was true and that that was right. But like I said, I don't think I had ever said that to somebody before. Um, And I hear you saying very much the same thing that part of part of finding a new level of confidence and moving forward with confidence is actually building this foundation that supports your mental health. And those are very specific things for you. It's not like some touchy feely process of, you know, psyching yourself up or like looking in the mirror and doing your daily affirmations, although that might be part of it. Um, It is some very real things that taking care of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a result of taking care of yourself. Would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. A hundred thousand percent. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's kind of pull back a little bit and examine how some of this plays out in other areas of your business and life as well, because you told me uh, that experimentation and even failure has been a big part of your journey towards greater confidence. confidence. So what kinds of other experiments have you run um, either recently or even in the past? Oh, wow. I run experiments all the time. I am very much scientific minded. I'm, you know, I was a huge fan of the Mythbusters. I've seen every Mm -hmm. episode. So I'm such a nerd for those kinds of things. And it's very easy for all of us, but myself specifically, to be emotionally attached to the outcome. We, whenever anyone runs an experiment or tries something or posts a blog post or posts a social media post, Even if you're expressing yourself, there's still a tiny part of you that may be hoping. I'm hoping. I'm deeply hoping for a reaction. I want someone to talk to me. I want someone to tell me that they understand, that I'm not crazy, that I'm not the only one that experiences this. And sometimes you don't get that reaction. And it's easy for me to become 
frustrated, self-defeated, and just instantly tear myself down. Like, I told you, you shouldn't have done that. There was no point in that. I knew no one was going to understand. No one's going to react to you. No one even pays attention to you. Why are you even trying to do this? And it just gets worse from there. And one of the things I've practiced on, of course, is interrupting myself in that. But mm-hmm. some of the experience I've run, experiments that I've run from a personal standpoint are, you know, shifts in my diet, um, taking different vitamins, uh, changing my skincare because I've had acne issues my entire adult life, which for me personally seems to be tied to stress, mm-hmm. not working out, not drinking enough water. Duh. I think everybody can relate to that. And, um, <laughs> Uh, for me, it, it ended up being dairy. Yeah. It ended up being dairy that was really, really hard on my skin. And it was also a, digest- a digestional health thing. My digestion's always been rather slow. So I've started taking pre and probiotics to help move it forward. And in less than two weeks, my skin cleared up. Amazing. Which is, for me personally, that's a huge thing. I was a model for years. How I look in the mirror matters. I can't get past it. I care about what I look like. And perpetually having acne was emotionally traumatizing on a regular basis. So that's those are personal experiences that I've run to see if I adjust these things, will I get this outcome or will I not? And there have been failures. There have absolutely been failures, especially from a professional standpoint. I've tried to you know, pursue a career as a yoga teacher. I've tried to do traditional employment again. Um, I've also, you know, run experiments in my business of, you know, what if I write about this subject? Will it garner more attention? What if I focus on offering this service? Um, I can say back when I was a virtual assistant moving into being an online business manager, I ran the experiment of creating a low-cost opt-in which we all know is like hallelujah, yay, that's what everybody tells you to do. And it was a massive failure. Literally no one bought it in six months. Absolutely no one. Despite the fact that I had invested thousands of dollars in designing it, taking my time to write it, setting everything up, all of it, nothing, zilch, absolutely squat. I still have all the files and I still laugh when I happen to come across them in my Google Drive. So I'm like, (laughs) that was a massive waste of time. (laughs) But I wouldn't have known if I hadn't done it because that was one of the stepping stones that gave me the confidence to keep trying. I was incredibly upset when it first happened. So do not get me wrong and think that, oh, I just brushed it off. It was no big deal. It wasn't that big of a failure. No, I was angry, really angry. And that's just part of the side effect. But over time, the beauty of being able to look back on it was it was a useful experiment for me because it helped me realize that if I do what everyone else does on autopilot, because I think I have to, or I'm supposed to, it's going to fail. I only have success when I actually pursue things that I'm excited about and I'm interested in. And I think other people can feel that if you cross into the mild woo-woo spectrum. But If your heart's not in it, people don't buy it because somehow they know you don't care. You're just trying to make money off of it. So I have slowly but surely regained my confidence of pursuing the things that I'm excited about, even if I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. which includes studying Japanese. I don't know how long it's going to be till I'm a translator. Maybe another 10 years. I don't know. But it's something that excites me. 
I'm pursuing become a certified online business manager, which gives me more credentials and more experience, which I'm excited about. But those are two very different avenues. And of course, I'm planning on self-publishing my third book in a couple of years. I just started writing it. That's a whole nother avenue that I'm pursuing that matters deeply to me. And some of those may be failures. And that's part of the experiment, the difficulty being not emotionally attached to the outcome. As you know, they always said on Mythbusters, every result is a result. Right. So your emotional attachment is up to you, which no shame in having an emotional attachment to it. You will. You're allowed to get angry. You're allowed to be upset. But eventually, as those emotions start to wave away, we come back to what did we learn? How was this useful? What can I try next? Because I feel like if I'm not experimenting with something, then I'm not growing. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm making money. That doesn't necessarily mean that, oh my gosh, I found a new revenue stream. It means I'm trying new things and I am guaranteed by default to learn something useful. And I'm just downright obsessed with learning new things. And I found that the best way to do that is to initiate that from my own end. I love that. Okay, so I was going to ask you, you know, you said I had this I had this epic failure and I was really upset at the time, but then later I could look back on it, I could reflect and I could see, all right, this is the lesson that I learned and um and that's incredible and I think the lesson that you learned is also incredible, the specific lesson. But at the same time, I mean, I think that we often gloss over that process of going from epic failure to reflecting and saying, this is why this happened. And I'm so glad that that happened because now I can move forward with this with this lesson in mind. And I think that you've I think that you were just uh, kind of getting to the answer to that question that I had yet to ask, which was, what does that process actually look like for you? How do you, over time, move away from that emotional response to a failure and into something that um, can serve you? But I'm curious if you just have any other reflections on kind of how that process unfolds for you so that you can actually get to the point of learning the lesson. Absolutely. Uh, well, it starts with anger. <laughs> it does. And I completely agree with you. In especially in the entrepreneurial space, we like to gloss over the hard parts and say, this is what happened. This is how I got here. This part was tough, but whatever. Look where I am now. Right. Well, you know, newsflash, I'm not making seven figures. So I'm not anywhere close to the entrepreneurial mecca of whatever we're supposed to be trying to focus on. But um, it starts with anger. The initial is the is anger and frustration at how could this not be working? I did everything right. I followed the process. I did the research. I wrote it. I it's designed. I set everything up right. Why doesn't anybody care? I did all the traditional marketing things. Why isn't anybody buying it? And that anger lasts for at least two or three days. And it, ju it usually just kind of keeps building in a crescendo of frustration. And most of it within my head, which is not a good place for it to live. Yeah. Um, my new habit is trying to get it out and write it, not necessarily publicly, but write it and get it out of me because it will, it will fester like a cancer if I leave it in there. So I allow myself to be angry. That's the hardest lesson I've had to learn is that when you have an emotion, allow yourself to have it. 
So I allow myself to have my anger and it lasts about two or three days. And then I start to get into the part where I start to blame myself for everything. I start to blame myself for the failure. I didn't do this. I didn't do enough of that. You should have taken another week to write it. What you wrote wasn't actually going to help anybody anyway. I don't know why you tried. And you start to peel into that self-defeat. And that can last months if I let it. So what I try to do is to the best of my ability, which I am not good at, I will admit, is I try to walk away. I try to exercise more. I try to spend more time away from my computer in any way humanly possible. I read more books. I write more in just a rambling sense, not anything public. I just get it all out because eventually your brain is a fantastic creation and mine certainly is starting to work well, which is nice little bit late, but it's starting to work. And when I take the time to write it all out or walk away from it, my brain starts to process it on its own. It starts to process, well, for this particular instance, we didn't actually ask a lot of people about it before we did it, or we didn't do a beta version first. Maybe next time we can do a beta version to actually test it and see if it would work. And this is something that I've read a lot more about, especially with like Paul Jarvis's company of one in the sense of find the absolute minimum viable product or minimum viable option and start there. So the same thing with personal stuff. You know, if, if you want to stop having dairy, change dairy. If you want to experiment, isolate the variable. If you want to change one skin product, change one at a time and see if it works. If you want to try waking up earlier, try that. Try only one new thing at a time because you'll never know which one's actually working if you try a ton at once. So as an entrepreneur, that's really hard because after you go through a failure, after you go through a very unsuccessful launch of something, you want to change everything for the next time. And most of the time, what I've found is that I simply need to do less that's very successful. <laughs> I put so <laughs> I put so much effort into it and so much of I have to do this 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 and this. And then when I do all those things, it, it doesn't work. So when I scale things back and keep it simple and say, "Hey, I'm trying this new thing. I'd love for you to check it out. Uh, this is a beta version. It's only 5 bucks. Um, the only thing I ask is that you give me your honest feedback. If you think it's total crap, I'm more than happy to give you your money back. I just want to see if this is something that would actually be helpful." And that's way easier than trying to get people to buy something for 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. If you, and be honest, this is a beta. I don't even, it's not fancy. It's just a worksheet. Like it's in an audio, like super duper simple, but we, I feel I have to be willing to be honest about how imperfect something is before I can offer it. Nothing's ever perfect. The course is never done. The book, I always want to rewrite because I never feel like I included everything. But if I put it out there in its early version, then I feel like not only can I confirm there's interest, but I can build on it. I can say, all right, they were interested in this super duper simple version. I already know of ways I can improve it. Let's try one more improvement and try this again and charge a little more for it and see if it bites. And as I mentioned, I am obsessed with doing things quickly and efficiently and right the first time. It's part of being a manager. But 
when it comes to experimenting in my business to find what other people would actually pay for or what other people actually care about. That is on a much longer timeline than I will ever be comfortable with. (laughs) Yeah, I will second that for sure. So tell us, um, as we start to wrap up here, tell us what, how your business looks different today than it did a few years ago and sort of how your confidence level has allowed you to be operating the kind of business that you have today. Absolutely. Well, the majority focus of my business and the only thing I currently make money on is being an online business manager and offering those services and that insight and support. And just about four years ago is when I actually started doing it. I was doing VA work and absolutely burnt myself out. I had 12 clients at one point. I was working 80, 90 hours a week and I was making a lot of money, which was nice, but it was absolute torture. So as I transitioned, I said, hey, I'm going back to school. I can't do this as much. I transitioned into being an online business manager, which is more responsibility. But with my experience in the online world, it was an easy transition to make. So that meant less clients. I only have three right now, but they completely support my entire income. And I don't think anyone can do that without confidence, at least a little bit, Mm -hmm. saying, I'm only going to take this many on. This is what I have the capacity for. I work no more than six hours a day, usually less than that, because I simply don't have the capacity for more than that. And I know that about myself. So as I grew to learn myself more and force myself into limitations like going back to school part-time, or passionately pursuing something like writing another book. I need time for that. I have to make time for that, which means professionally, the way I make money still matters, but it also means that I have to condense it. So I have forced myself to explore how can I be the most useful? And that means it has to be as simple as possible. It has to be one or two things. I only offer two services, ongoing and a 90-minute consultation. And that's it. That's all I offer. It's the only way I make money. And it works well. I make more money than I expected to. And honing down on how would I be most useful has helped to not only grow the business itself, but also grow my confidence in knowing, hey, I'm just not really good at that thing. I'm not really good at this thing. If you want me to edit YouTube videos, it's not happening. I'm not good at that. <laughs> but if you hire me to you know, be the second in command of your entire business, I'm actually really good at that for whatever reason, for whatever mound of experience that I have. So honing in on as much as I would love to be a multi-million dollar writer and have my nonfiction books become movies, which is not common at all, but wouldn't that be great? But that's not where it is. And ultimately I know that wouldn't necessarily make me any happier than I am today. So pursuing writing is still a massive passion, but if I hardly ever get paid for it, that's fine. I know of Mm -hmm. something I am very good at and I can make money off of and I can help people. So I honed in on that. And that's what I focus on instead of being obsessed with how can I make more clients? When can I finally release an e-course so that I don't have to work so much? That will happen eventually. I know it's down the line. But right now, I have to structure my business around what works and 
what I'm passionate about. Because the moment I lose the passionate element, even if it's something I don't make money off of, what works doesn't work anymore because I become bitter about it. Absolutely. Tell us one thing you're really excited about right now. Oh my gosh, this is this is super cheesy, but I am working on getting 100% out of debt for the first time in my adult yeah. life, and I'm super excited about that. I have paid off $16,000 in 3 months, and wow. I still have I still have another 25,000 to go, which will take me at least another year. There were some initial windfalls at the beginning, but um First time I'll be out of debt ever as an adult and already ripped up my credit cards. I don't have any more completely pursuing being the ultimate definition of financially independent. And my business is helping me do that. That's incredible. Victoria Klein, thank you so much for sharing your journey through experimentation and failure and big decisions and all the ways that that's helped you uh, find the confidence to take the next step. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and I certainly hope it helps someone else. Now it's your turn to get candid about confidence. We're hosting an ongoing conversation about confidence on our Instagram handle, Explore What Works. Find today's post about Victoria's story and tell us about a time when you made an unexpected or unconventional choice in your life or business. What did it do to your level of confidence? Or you can tell us your story in your own Instagram feed or story using the hashtag CandidConfidence. Next month, we're talking about scale and the many ways that small business owners are increasing their capacity, growing beyond their own ability, and generating more revenue. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find more candid conversations and personal reflections about navigating insecurity and finding the confidence to take the next step at explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. 